The Guardian. The Guardian live at the Edinburgh Fringe 2008. Thanks very much for downloading our best bits from week two at the Edinburgh Festival. I'm Miles Jupp. We've had some great performances this week at the Gilda Balloon. We start with a bit from Frank Woodley. Thanks very much. Thank you. This is the saddest song that I know. So if you don't like sad songs, then maybe you should go. It's all about a boy who was born with an unusually enormous head. The other kids wouldn't play with him. They'd just point and laugh instead. He didn't have any friends. He was all alone. And in his huge head, he had a huge brain. And this is where the sad part of the story really kicks in. Because the part of his brain that was grotesquely overdeveloped and working at ten times its normal capacity was the bit that has the function of making a person feel bad about themselves when other people point and laugh at them for being different. Sad song. Um, it's actually, it's, it's been, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm still a bit spacey because I've just come straight from a, a holiday in northern uh, Australia and uh, I went on one of those crocodile tours uh, where you, you know, you go on a boat and you see crocodiles and stuff and I just thought I'd pass on, just in case you're ever in uh, northern Australia on a crocodile tour, the guy who ran it, he told me two things that I think are probably worth passing on to probably everybody I meet from now on. Um, uh, the, the good news is, if you're chased by a crocodile, uh, you should climb a tree because uh, crocodiles can't climb trees. But the bad news is uh, they can sit uh, at the bottom of the tree <laughs> waiting for you to come down for up to 18 months. <laughs> what does a snake do when it feels like having a bit of a lie down? At school, I was very successful at spelling bees. Other words I found more difficult. <laughs> Everybody, get up and dance! Everybody, just sit there and look! I got a job working as a contortionist. I had to squash myself into a tiny box. I gave it up after a week because mm, I just couldn't get into it. <laughs> oh, that's shocking. Don't, I don't think that deserves applause. That's the first time that joke's ever gotten applause. Normally, people rush to the stage and, and do to me what... <laughs> they bounce me, basically, normally. Uh, but luckily, I'm made of rubber, so it's kind of fun. All right. Um, the, 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 um, oh, I might contradict myself, but at least I don't contradict myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the, I want to sing a... Uh, I want to sing... Uh, I actually, I went and visited my uh, grandmother recently, and I said to her, I said, um, Nana, don't you... Because she's got all these, like, um, bars on her windows... And I said, no, no, don't you think this security's just, you know, it's a little bit over the top? And she said, well, Frank, I did kill all those people. 
I want to, this is, um, this is actually, none of this stuff's in my show that I've done yet, but this song is. In my show, I do play a kind of a, uh, one of the characters I play, just very briefly, is a sort of a bluesy uh, sort of dude, and uh, I want to sing uh, just a short song uh, that he does in my show. So, uh, uh, here we go. Um, oh, how does it, uh, I know. Um, yeah, g'day, how are you? Good to see you. Um, you know, I reckon uh, the only song worth singing has got two ingredients. One, love. Two, heartbreak. And the only difference between heartbreak and love is emphasis. Like, for example, take the statement, you made love to me, a soulmate I discovered. Take that same statement, put the emphasis in different places. You haven't got, you made love to me, a soulmate I discovered. You've got, you made love to me, our soulmate I discovered. <laughs> it's a subtle difference, but it makes all the difference. Uh, I want to sing a short song about the first time I ever made love to a lady. <laughs> Said it was short. Uh, but I've got, uh, got better with practice. And I've got to tell you, in recent times, during my lovemaking, I haven't had any complaints. Well, I have had some complaints, but they've been from the neighbours. Before I met you, I was feeling down. Before I met you, I wore a frown But you changed my life, girl And I tell you how I was real sad then I'm suicidal now But the sex Woo! I've never had a lover that's gone all night Why were you gone all night, by the way? I was lonely You are my sunshine Too much exposure to use bad for my health, yeah you give me a reason to live. Revenge! <laughs> the way that our romance has gone is not how I thought it would be. Like when you said that you wanted to try a threesome just to see. When I reluctantly agreed, I just assumed I'd be one of the three. Before I met you, I was feeling down Before I met you I wore a frown But you changed my life, girl And I tell you how I was real sad then I'm suicidal now Thanks very much. Here's a bit of fantastic stand-up from earlier in the week with Steve Hall. Uh, hello, uh, it's lovely to see you all. My name is Stephen Hall. I'm doing a show called Vice Captain Loser. That is the title of my show. It's a title that was given to me uh, when I was 14 years old by my father. Uh, he's genuinely said to me, uh, son, you're not even the biggest loser in the world. You're just the vice captain loser. Yeah, it's a fairly, a fairly amazing thing for a dad to say to his son. He's very much the hero of the show, I should emphasise. It's, it's the tale of me learning to live with shame and regret and guilt and being happy with it. I'm an odd mixture. I'm clearly racially Jewish, um, but I was also raised Catholic. Uh, so I'm a Catholic in a Jew's body, uh, which is basically guilt squared. Uh, and so I wrote a list of the various things that have caused me shame uh, in my life. Uh, various things have caused me shame. I killed a pigeon. Uh, I feel very guilty about that. Uh, they're fairly universally hated uh, in, in the bird world. They're unhygienic, they're disgusting, they spread disease, they're vermin. Pigeons are rats with wings in the same way that babies are rats with rights. <laughs> That's my hat in the ring there. 
Um, you get some odd reasons given for people hating pigeons. A gentleman at one of my previews uh, of this show uh, said that his number one reason for hating pigeons is that they don't have arms. It's interesting. By that logic, that bloke also hates the Venus de Milo, all other birds and thieves in the Middle East. It made very little sense to me. <laughs> Another gentleman said uh, that his number one reason for hating pigeons was, and I quote, they're just piss takers. <laughs> Most charming piece of mental illness I've encountered in some time. Um, my particular reason for hating pigeons, these two, two pigeons have been having sex outside my bedroom window very noisily. I don't know if you've ever seen pigeons really wail away on each other. It's this um, kind of quite hypnotic flurry of feathers and biology. Fairly disgusting, quite hypnotic if you watch it for four or five hours, as I tend to do. <laughs> but I was really at the end of my tether with it, so I threw a flower pot at them, intending to make them fly away. But I'm a very bad throw. Um, I sort of messed up the throw, hit one of them on the head with the flower pot. Its head exploded mid-sexual congress, literally on the vinegar strokes. <laughs> Behold, I am become death, the destroyer of pigeons. Uh, now, I'm fascinated by karma at the, at the moment, the idea that what goes around comes around. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe at least I've solved my pigeon problem. They'll know not to roost outside my bedroom window anymore. Uh, apparently, that's not accurate at all. Apparently, pigeons are so unhygienic, they are so disgusting, that they will often build their nests on or out of the dead bodies of other pigeons. It's fairly horrific, isn't it? So there was I thinking I'd solved my pigeon problem. All I'd actually done was built them an extension. <laughs> it's far from ideal. But here's where the karma thing kicks in, because two days after I killed a pigeon because it was having sex too noisily, my flatmate brought his new girlfriend home for the first time. And the sound of their lovemaking is like the sound of a million pigeons having the biggest pigeon gangbang of all time and then the world exploding. Uh, this is no exaggeration. I will now replicate for you the noise uh, that I hear through our paper-thin ex-council flat walls as my flatmate's girlfriend approaches Epiphany. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. She honestly sounds like a clown nearly falling off a cliff. It's truly horrific. Meanwhile, when my flatmate approaches Ejaculans, he becomes quite the heavy breather. So again, I can just hear him going, oh, oh, oh. He sounds like a predator with asthma. It's this truly nightmarish cacophony, this weird clown predator clusterfuck. Just the most disturbing noise I have ever heard in my entire life. I felt guilty even trying to masturbate to it. Got like a top hat to raise at that particular punchline. <laughs> uh, I have been Stephen Hall, Vice Captain Loser. Do enjoy the rest of this splendid podcast. I'll see you again. Thank you. Not only was Tim Minchin part of the Guardian in the musical, he also came on and gave us one of his own songs. I, um, I am married to my wife and we've been together since this is true. I've, um, we've been, well, I met her at 17 and uh, pretty much, pretty much have been together ever since. And um, this is a love song I wrote for her called If I Didn't Have You. Yep, yep, if I didn't have you. If I didn't have you to hold me tight. If I didn't have you to lie with that night. If I didn't have you to share my sight. And to kiss me and dry my tears when I cry Well, I really think that I would have somebody else 
If I didn't have you, someone else would do Your love is one in a million You couldn't buy it at any price But of the 9.99900,000 other possible loves Statistically, some of them would be equally nice Or maybe not as nice, but say smarter than you Or, or, or dumber, but better at sport Or tracing, I'm just saying Probably have somebody else Oh yeah If I didn't have you If I didn't have you Someone else would do Someone else would surely If I were a rich man I guess I would be with a surgeon or a model or a rally of the royals or a Kennedy or an infomaniacal exhibitionist heiress to a large chain of hotels. If I were a rich man, maybe I would fiddle, fiddle, diddle, diddle with the rich man girls. I'm not saying that I'd not love you if I was wealthy or handsome, but realistically there's lots of fish in the sea. And if I had a different rod, I would conceivably land some. Even though I'm fiscally consistently pitiable and considerably less Brad Pitt than Brad Pitiful, am I really so poor and ugly that you reckon only you could possibly love me and I really think that I would probably have somebody else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Visual yeah, guy. Look, I'm not undervaluing what we've got when I say that given the role chaos inevitably plays in the inherently flawed notion of fate, it's abstruse to deduce I found my soulmate at the age of 17. It's just mathematically unlikely that at a university in Perth I happen to stumble on the one girl on earth specifically designed for me. And if I may conjecture a further objection, love has nothing to do with destined perfection. The connection is strengthened, the affection simply grows over time, like a flower or a mushroom or a guinea pig or a vine or a sponge or bigotry or a banana. And love is made more powerful by the ongoing drama of shared experience and the synergy of a kind of symbiotic empathy or something like that. So I trust it goes without saying that I would feel really very sad If tomorrow you were to fall off something high or catch something bad But I'm just saying, I don't think you're special I mean, I think you're special, but you fall within a bell curve I mean, I'm just saying, I probably I think you are unique and beautiful You make me happier just by being around but objectively, you would have to agree that, baby, when I found you, options are relatively thin on the ground. You're lovely, but there must be girls as lovely as you and maybe more open to spanking. Scrabble, I'm just saying. I think that I would probably have somebody else. I mean, I reckon it's pretty likely that if, for example, my first girlfriend, Jackie, hadn't dumped me after I kissed Winston's ex-girlfriend, Nia, at Steph's party back in 1993, enough variables would probably have been altered by the absence of that event to have meant the advent of a tangential narrative in which we don't meet. Which is to say there exists a theoretical, hypothetical, parallel life Where what is is not as it is And I'm not your husband and you are not my wife And I am a stuntman living in L.A. Married to a small blonde Portuguese skier Who when she's not training does abstract painting Practices yoga and brews her own beer And really likes making home movies And suffers neck down alopecia But with all my heart and all my mind, I know one thing is true. I have just 
Just one life, just one love And my love, that love is you And if it wasn't for you, baby, you Really think that I would Probably. have somebody else? Someone else would do. Someone else would surely do. The whimsical Irish comedian Maeve Higgins got a fantastic response. Hello. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. I was going to tell you about um, the local celebrity in my area. I'm from Cove in Ireland. It's um, an island on the south coast of Ireland. And we just have one celebrity. She's a witch. Um, she's a, a white witch. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of her, the white witch of Cove. Okay. Um, but she is like a psychic witch. She claims to be psychic. Now, in my experience, she is mainly psychic in hindsight. Like, she does, really. She usually says stuff like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I had a feeling that was going to happen. I was like, well, I know the past as well. Can I have my money back? Actually, she doesn't take money um, for consultation. She takes John Player Blue cigarettes. It's quite rough. But, um... I don't believe she's psychic, but I think she does tell you some pretty interesting things about your family. Because my mum went to see the witch, and she did this trick on my mum's hand. You know, when you hold a ring over a lady's hand, and you can tell her how many children she's had. Did you ever see that trick being done? I don't know what the purpose is, really, just in case the woman has forgotten. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had that little brown-haired one with us on Saturday. Yeah, better check the shop. Dave, ring the shop. <laughs> but, um, actually, it actually happened. But, um... Yeah, she, does, she did this trick on my mum's hand where she held a ring over her hand. For the purpose of the story, I have to tell you that um, my mother has had seven children, right? She's a great little goer. <laughs> um, no, sorry, sorry. I don't, don't think it was her choice. But anyway, she's had seven children. And um, the witch said to her, she said, I can tell by my magical ring trick that you have heard. Do you know she doesn't talk like that? Is that why you're looking at me like that? <laughs> You're right. She doesn't talk like that. But I think um, if I was a witch, I think I would make an effort with my voice and appearance. But anyway, um, she puts on like a normal voice. And she did this trick on my mother's hand and she said to my mother that uh, she said, I can tell that you've had one girl, one boy and then five girls. And my mother said, no, Helen, no, because they're in school together. as well. They're friends. <laughs> it's very small. Cove is very small. Um, and she said, no, she said, I've only had one girl, one boy, and then five girls. And the witch said that the only explanation for the mix-up was that my mother's initial pregnancy, it must have started off with twins, but then the stronger embryo ingested the other embryo. That's what she said. I know it's a horrible thing to hear, but you have to, you have to take into account, when you're from a big family, you have to store up little bits of information about your siblings, things that they've done wrong in the past, so you can use it against them in future arguments. Um, like, when my brother was 10 years old, he shook hands at Robert Mugabe. Can you believe that? I would never do that. Um, but yeah, he shook hands with him. So now my brother never gets to choose what we watch on TV, ever. <laughs> now, it's like 18 years later. But um, yeah, so I used it against my sister at Christmas time. We were all home at Christmas, and um, I borrowed my, old, my sister's shoes and... She's half a size smaller than me, but I've got a slightly fuller upper lip. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But um, and she's half a size smaller. And you know, if you wear shoes that are too small for you, you kind of, you'd stretch them out or ruin them, depending on your perspective, really. And my sister chose the latter. She went mad. I can't believe you ruined my shoes. And I was like, I can't believe you ate our older sister. <laughs> <laughs> Start crying. 
was like, Siobhan would have let me her shoes. She wouldn't have cared. What happened to them? Um, I call the dead one. Yeah, I call the dead one Siobhan. And I think, I think she would have been really lovely. Um, because, you know, with twins, the way there's always a good one and a bad one. Obviously, now, if you ask twins, they'll deny that. Oh, no, that's just superstition. But um, that's because one of those twins is pure evil. The other one is perpetually terrified. So you never get the truth. Definitely my, my, uh, my surviving sister was the bad one. She was a horrible child. I suppose, what else would you expect from a murderous fetus? <laughs> She's horrible. She was really mean. She told me something about Santa that I wish she hadn't told me. Um, I won't say what she told me now in case there's children here. I don't think there are children here, but you can never tell, though, because children love to come to shows, so often what they do is they stack up on top of each other, and the top child puts on some lipstick and a big coat, and... Um, I won't say anything. I'd hate to just hear somebody's torso whimpering, just like, Boom! and then all these three-year-olds come tumbling out, bawling, crying. But um, thanks for listening so, so early in the morning and have a lovely festival. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Maeve Higgins. One of our favourite guests of the week was the irrepressible American comedian John Panett. I think it was three and a half minutes before I actually needed to ask him a question. John Bennett has starred in films with Hollywood stars Gwyneth Paltrow, John Travolta and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he was in the last ever episode of Seinfeld. He's in Edinburgh performing his show I Say Nay Nay every night at the Underbelly. But don't let me tell you how funny he is. Let's hear what his audience last night had to say. Excellent. Really, laugh a minute right... Well, more than a laugh a minute, laugh a second right throughout. Just non-stop laughter. It was amazing. Very, very funny. Better than any of the stand-ups we've ever seen. Yeah. Really funny. It's very, very funny. He's just excellent. Very clever man. Very witty. Ladies and welcome, John Burnett. Very nice to be here. John, welcome. Very kind of you to come down. This is... Oh, very comfortable chair. That's... Are these from Ikea? Um. That's, that's my favorite place, Ikea. Oh, really? Just... No, you have to put stuff together. Oh. And, and they always say, like, you go to buy something, and they go, we'll see if it's at the, in the system. It's right, in, it's right here. <laughs> Help me get it in the car. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, I'm getting along here. You're getting... It's been ten days. It's my first time in Edinburgh. So I came in last Tuesday. The promoter meets me at the flat that I've rented for a mere 5,000 pounds. And I got a bargain. Oh, it is a bargain. Edinburgh <laughs> Festival makes Disney World look like a non-profit organization. <laughs> All right? It's... If... If you have any money left at the airport, do they make you put it in a bucket or something like that? This, this is a left-wing newspaper. Apparently, we're spreading it out among everybody. <laughs> Communism doesn't work for me. And I'll tell you why. Uh, <laughs> Long food lines. Now, at the end of the downfall of the Soviet Union, did you know people were waiting in line four hours for bread? Well... That's when I get politically active. <laughs> if, that, if that happened in the States, I would be like, what's going on? I'd be outside the White House. Have you seen the queue? Let me in. I want to make a sandwich. But think about it. Four hours in line for bread. If I wait four hours in line for bread, this better be great bread. I mean, I've had bread that I would wait four hours for. Don't get me wrong. Four hours, you should go, did you have the bread? Oh. 
So I came in here last Tuesday, and I knew nothing about Edinburgh, and I've had a wonderful time. I really have. But I knew nothing. I had the 5,000-pound flat, and the promoter gave me the keys and says, you live in Edinburgh now. Have fun. What, what, where, what, where is everything? Where, I, I'm at the window like Oliver. Where is love? And I have a washer slash dryer. We don't have those. I like approach. I backed off from it like an Ewok. But I, I'm learning though. Well, uh, well, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a restaurant review after this. Oh, <laughs> yes. Have you, have you tried much of the uh, local cuisine? I have, and my arms started to go numb. <laughs> so I called my physician. No, I, I, I have had some of them. You know, I'm, I've had enough chips, really, though. I can't, would you like some more chips? No, thank you. <laughs> I would, when I'm crying for a salad, I've had too many chips. Uh, so go ahead, my friend. By the way, you're great in Elizabeth and Raleigh. Oh, you're, you're I've very... seen it a few times. Have you seen it? Nobody's... It's very good. If yeah. you ever need a Henry VIII, let me know. <laughs> I'll walk in there with a drumstick. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, my employers, the Guardian and Observer Group, described it as a creaking historical comedy, so it's nice to have that corrected. It, it, um... yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. Oh, well, bless you. You've got excellent taste. Thank um, you. Do you have a, a lot of American fans coming to the show here? On Sunday, we, we, there were a lot of people from the U.S. Uh, there was a, a group that's... Uh, there's some high school theater groups over here, and one came in last week and one came in on Sunday. And uh, I tour a lot... I tour quite a bit in Canada. So, uh, so uh, I've had a number of Canadians come in. Because uh, another show I'm in is on right after yours, and we come straight in as soon as you're, you're finished, and there's always a huge baying mob of... Uh of youths at the front, desperate to have their photos taken with you yes, and, well, and to touch he, any part of you. you know, there's, uh, 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 apparently, I, I've been around for so long, it's, it's start, I've been handed down to the, to the younger generation. <laughs> you, cause, uh, you, you were in the last ever episode of uh, Seinfeld. I was, yes. Uh, does that, it wasn't a big deal. It's not like, oh, I, they needed a big guy. <laughs> and they called me up. Mark Hirschfeld, the casting director, who is now head of casting at NBC, said, we need a big guy. Get over here. <laughs> and I said, what's it for? He said, shut up. It's a secret. <laughs> and really, I was a carjack victim. <laughs> and they were arrested because they didn't help me. You know, they just kind of made fun of me while I was being carjacked. And there was a good Samaritan law, so they all got arrested. And uh, I was, I shot, I was scared to death. It was the last, it was huge in the States. It was like the Super Bowl numbers as far as people seeing it. So I was scared to death, but all I had to do was jump out of a car and go, Officer! Officer! <laughs> And then I ate craft services for the next six days. <laughs> and it wasn't like, like coffee and water over there. It was like, I mean, a guy carving turkey, a pasta bar. Very nice. Does, does, that, does that mean do, do you get uh, recognized all over the world as a result of that? You know what? I, I, I get recognized for silly little things. I, I, I've done like, uh, well, in my younger days, I toured with Frank Sinatra for about a year. What? And that was a lot of fun. You toured with Frank Sinatra? I did. He, he, uh, you know, he, used, he rotated comedians and I was, uh, I did. On a know, rotisserie? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> he, he thought I was Gleason. They didn't tell him. <laughs> How are you, 
Frank. <laughs> and in uh, with the last episode of Seinfeld, and I did Hairspray on Broadway. My career is much mirrors Forrest Gump. I kind of pop up different places, really. <laughs> Uh, I, hairspray I enjoyed probably uh, the most. I'm are you, going are you back on a break there. from that at the moment? Yes. In, I, I played the part of a woman. Uh, it's the only thing they had for me, and that's just my life. John, do <laughs> you want to be in a musical? It's a lead. Broadway? Yeah. Put this dress on. <laughs> and shave your eyebrows. They made me shave my eyebrows. And you don't think of that. You, I think you have to do whatever you have to do to make the part great. And they said you have to shave your eyebrows. I didn't know that for two years I would be walking around with no eyebrows. And it's horrifying, really. Uh, I look like a cherubic Uncle Fester. And, uh, and when you have no eyebrows, people don't know what's wrong. But they're pretty sure something ain't right. <laughs> and maybe we should take the next elevator, honey. <laughs> Two years of kids. Get out of the pool. He has no eyebrows. You know what I love here in Scotland that is amazing to me is that some of the food, although I couldn't eat it on a consistent basis, I'm almost out of cholesterol medication. I, I was in Tesco the other day. I shop at Tesco now. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, there was nothing at the apartment. You think yeah. five grand, you, she should have left something. <laughs> Leave a ham. <laughs> so, sorry I've overcharged you. I've just bought a condo in Belize with the money. Here's a ham. So I went to Tesco and I saw sausage potato chips. Now, in the States, I've been telling them for years, this potato chips needs sausage. But they won't listen. Here they have it. They'll put anything in a potato chip here. I love that. I love the spirit of it. Uh, how? You quite don't know what to say, do you? Well, I'm just amazed I need to say anything. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, how, many, uh, how many weeks a year are you out on the road? Forty. Uh, in a row, do you take a 12-week holiday at the end, or is that you? Uh, um, actually, I, can, I have a place in uh, L.A., and I have a place in Pennsylvania, so I can, you know, cut away for a few days. And it, it's not as, as hard as it sounds, and, and I, do, I do love it. So. What's, uh, what's it like doing the, uh, doing the L.A. thing? Uh, the L.A. thing is, is, is fine because I'm, I'm never in any place long enough to get sick of it. So <laughs> I, I, I enjoy pretty much every place I am. I was in Des Moines, Iowa last year. And Des Moines, not a lot to do in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, the stage was great and the show was great. But I tell this story in my act. Uh, there was a, a rib festival in town. And the owner of the club didn't tell me until three days in. Like, oh, by the way, there's a rib festival in town. Like, I should have gotten off the plane and he should have said, there's a rib festival in town. He met, hey, by the way, you want to go look? First of all, he was talking with a southern accent. Iowa is not in the south. So he's making it up. He's, you know, he's been watching too much TV. I'll tell, I'm from Iowa. Yeah, well, that's not how people talk. So that was annoying. Then he said, there's a rib festival in town. Would you be interested in something like that? Get in the car! <laughs> I... I go there, and it's like Willy Wonka's factory, but with ribs. <laughs> Come with me, and you'll see a world of sheer imagination. 
I'll be like Augustus Gloop slurping from the barbecue sauce river. Ladies and gentlemen, John Panette. Thank you. We had more fun with Millikan's Minute. Here's Sarah Millikan talking to Richard Herring and me. Uh, Sarah, how lovely. Uh, since you were last on, you've been having a, a clutch of very, very healthy reviews. Yes. Does that make you feel better? Better than when I didn't have good reviews? Or <laughs> do you need to be a bit more specific? Just better in general? or? Yeah, better about yourself. Better about myself, because <laughs> I need the validation of others, yes. Uh, I, was, I was quite happy well, with how things were going before, but it's nice that people recognise it and, and give me nice reviews, yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm better, but I was still OK before that. Oh, OK. Um, it's gone a bit weird now, hasn't it? Well, um, no, it's, I, I know that you're greatly concerned about the, the welfare of others. We'll hear that on today's uh, Millikan's Minute. Yes. But you, you, are, you are happy. Yes, I am happy. I've got a bit of a cold, uh, but from what I can gather, when people come up here for a month, then they do sometimes get, like, rickets and scurvy and stuff, so I think I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing all right. <laughs> I've got a bit of a cold, but other than that, I'm fine. No styes, no, no, no rickets, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm... Not even any diarrhoea. Oh, really? Which I thought was a given. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling terribly with trench foot. Um... LAUGHTER uh, no, I, I... I understand that you went, uh, you went round to Felix Dexter's flat for yes, this podcast. Uh, how, how was that? Well, how was his flat? Uh, his flat was lovely. But I did, actually, it was weird because I did compliment it and I said, you know, oh, your flat's really nice. And he said, I can't really take any credit because it's not mine. <laughs> it's a bit weird when you do that, though, because I wanted him to say, oh, well, this is what I've done over here. And do you like, do you like the mauve carpets and things? But I couldn't say anything because it's not his. Somebody else has done a really good job on it, though. It's nice. Um, you should never take credit for another man's corner sing. <laughs> Good motto to have just in life in general. Uh, now, uh, you, uh, you've challenged him to uh, a game of uh, Millikan's Minute? I certainly did. And, uh, and it was because it, it, he's quite competitive, as I discovered, because Jim Bowen had scored eight. And, uh, and I thought he really wanted to beat eight. And uh, so we'll have to see how, how he did. But I started off because I couldn't just go straight in with questions. So I started off by asking him um, how he was finding Edinburgh. I'm finding it, as you can imagine, very wet, cold, and loads of hills, but still very enjoyable. Enjoying the cab drivers as well. They're frequently asking me if I'm English uh, because I say, well, can I go to Pleasance, please? And they go, oh, you're English, are you? And then they start on some big thing about Robert Bruce and uh, William Wallace, all that, as if I had something to do with Edward II. You know, I was in cahoots. I feel like saying, look, you know, this is absurd. The first time I get uh, regarded as an English person, I'm being accused of a racial crime against another ethnic group. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> and are you eating properly? Because I know that is a worry of all comics that we don't really eat enough. I'm eating uh, an adequate amount to sustain my energy and keep me alive. That's, that's, that's a brilliant answer, because that's what we should all do generally. Only that's that what, and not too much. Yeah. When you finished your show, are you likely to go drinking in bars or do you go home? I tend to hang out a bit in a state of shock and confusion. What has just happened? Uh, and then after about half an hour, I calm down. I tend to probably have a half, but I'm not a big bevier. Bit of a lightweight, really. Because I tend to, I tend to go home and uh, I, I'm, I'm probably the same as you. I don't really drink, but I will socialise for a little while. But I know some people are up till four and five in the morning. Is that not something yeah. that ever well, appeals to you? I, I, I don't know. Um, and maybe it's because of the uh, enormous penis I have, but I find no need to prove my masculinity by drinking excessive amounts of alcohol. I love what you're saying about all of the comics in Edinburgh. Well done. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can't speak for their manhood, but I know that mine, being uh, enormous and almost painful to walk around with as it is, it saves me a lot of money on drink, basically. Well, to be honest, I don't drink either, so what does that say about my penis? Um, anyway. well, um, I, and you're becoming more fascinating by the minute. <laughs> 
I'm only interested if I've got a penis. Excellent. <laughs> Sarah, were you expecting that chat to head in that direction? No, I wasn't prepared at all. I should have done a bit more research on penis size related to how much uh, alcohol intake you have during the festival. I hadn't done any research at all. Uh, do you go out drinking? <laughs> After the... <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> right answer. <laughs> yep. I, I used to, but because uh, all my mates always called me Donkey Boy, I just got. I got so. Your face. Um... <laughs> uh, as it happens. Um, <laughs> let's have a listen to Millikan's Minute. Uh, the idea here is that you ask fringe celebrities some daft questions uh, and they answer as many as they can in a minute. Yes, uh, well, you can say they're daft questions, but I didn't think they were daft. I thought they were insightful. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> this is Felix Dexter. He's got Jim Bowen's Eight to Beat. Felix Dexter on Millikan's Minute. Felix Dexter on Millikan's Minute. Tell me, Felix... What's your favourite ever punchline? Uh, rather than screaming in agony and fear like his passengers. EastEnders or Coronation Street? EastEnders. Elvis or Cliff? Elvis. What's your favourite pudding? Uh, spotted Dick. Which newspaper do you read? Guardian. Early morning or late night? Late night. If your house was on fire, what would you leave? I'd uh, just leave. <laughs> what do you read on the toilet? Uh instructions as to how to unwrap the toilet paper. <laughs> What's your favourite film? Platoon. What's your non-alcoholic beverage of choice? Water. What did you have for breakfast today? Uh, a toasted uh, sandwich of egg, bacon, mushrooms and tomato fried. Healthy. Can you dance? <laughs> uh, like a wizard. <laughs> Can wizards dance? Excellent. Daft, daft, daft. Um, uh, now, you, uh, you, can wizards dance? I don't know. I still don't know. Do we think wizards can dance? See, exactly. So maybe you can't dance then. It's just the old wizard get-out. Uh, <laughs> We've all done it. So how many did he get? He got 11. So he's in the lead. He's in the lead, right. Yeah. So that puts Jim Bowen into a very worrying last place. Well, but he's 71. I don't think he cares. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Millican and Richard Herring. And who could forget The Guardian the Musical? Here it is, in its entirety, from its first inception to its rousing, triumphant finish. The Guardian the Hello, it's Craig Hill here. I'm very excited because I'm involved with the uh, Guardian, the musical, which I think is a, quite a funny idea. We're going to do this thing in four hours. We've got two hours, two days. And we just found out we're doing it in front of a live audience. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to you coming along to listen to it. Well, we, well, well, we don't need you. Hi there, I'm Stephen K. Amos, and I have been bullied into taking part in this musical. I can't even sing. I can barely speak. We've had our first session this afternoon. Everyone was on form. Lots of ideas were generated. And um, thankfully, we've got Tim Minchin, who is going to be on the keyboard and uh, is going to be right by my side. So, let's see how it goes. He's the eighth generation of reviewers. Yeah. I'm Tim Minchin. I'm doing The Guardian 
the musical and uh, it's, it's very familiar to me writing short musicals because I've done it lots and uh, I just try not to take over really but I think I'll be the song guy mostly. Today's rehearsal was good, we got a structure but the hard part's still to come and uh, everyone's really nice. Comedians are funny aren't they? Yeah, I suppose what you see is the enthusiastic jazz hands right, everything's fine, this is the reason why we're doing the show and it ends. <laughs> have been looking forward to the next part of the show since we arrived in Edinburgh. Brian Logan has gathered a top team that have, in a very short period of time, put together The Guardian the Musical, or The Musical. Here to tell us all about it is that very man, Brian Logan! Ladies and gentlemen, Lerner and Lowe, Rogers and Hammerstein, Kander and Ebb, Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, Ladies and gentlemen, this illustrious pantheon will today have some new names added to it. Uh, we came up with the idea for Guardian the Musical about uh, six weeks ago when we were discussing how to cover the Edinburgh Festival. We thought this might be an amusing stunt. It was very poorly thought through and ill-conceived. We had a dream team of uh, comedians and dramatists that, we, that myself and Paul Arendt tried to get together to, to help us create this. And we didn't dream, you know... Can you say that you didn't dream that you'd get your dream team? Anyway, we did. And they're all in this room. Uh, they've had six weeks to rehearse. <laughs> they've had six weeks to rehearse and a full Guardian salary. Uh, no, had, we, had, we, had two, we had two times two-hour writing sessions and one two-hour rehearsal, which was essentially still writing. And they've been writing it until five minutes ago upstairs. I kind of expected that maybe... You know, why would they want to invest in this project? Why would they take it seriously? It was just a silly newspaper stunt. But it's been really quite moving how seriously they've taken it and how committed they were and how much fun we've all had. So I hope that your opening round of applause and indeed your closing one reflects how much work they've done for nothing, just out of the goodwill and a sense of fun. So without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce Guardian the Musical. In a room used for 11 months of the year as a storage space for dead animals. A room that has more in common with the Kursk than a theatrical venue. The comedy duo, Ebony and Ivories, await the arrival of their audience members. really big fan. I think this show is gonna be great. I just can't wait. You'll always find me in the front row today alone. I've seen seven shows and they all started late. 
But I don't mind, I've seen this act 11 times and they're so fine. And this time I promise not to laugh before the punchlines. Even though they've gone from four pounds to 28, I still can't wait. Young leafleter, I always dreamt of going to Korea for my gap year. <laughs> Instead, my summer's drifting away. I hand out soggy flyers all day and drink too much beer. I did this job because they said I get into the shows for free. But I've been here two weeks and this is the first show I've managed to see. Metro said it was unmissable, so I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> but even if it's shit, at least I'm dry. <laughs> Where's my mug? I don't know. Where's my mug? I don't know. Where's my mug? Fuck your mug. I don't want to fuck my mug, I want a tea. If I lose my fucking voice, where will we be? Well, it wouldn't make much difference out there. You could lose your fucking legs for all they care. One ticket, one ticket sold. This festival's a joke and the joke's getting old. One ticket after all the years we spent And we only take 60% We were young and optimistic once Now here we are, one ticket And two cunts who've come for free This is not how I dreamed it would be One ticket and two fucking cunts One ticket and two fucking cunts is going to be tedious but I write the reviews and they read comedy's declined as a medium the audience response is Pavlovian say fuck or spaz and they laugh see <laughs> I want Arthur's postmodern and Brechtian I want to bump off Michael Billington where's comedy that's Lenny Brucian I'm just sick of this comedy for Lucia but I write the reviews and they read them. Yes, this is going to be tea. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please slap the soggy, fleshy bits at the ends of your arms together to welcome... Why do you always hog the intro? What? It's, it's the same with a duvet. You... <laughs> you know I get colder than you. Well, you may as well finish it now. Please welcome to the area at the front of the room that has become a stage simply because you're all facing it. The, the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe Comedy Review Collective of, of comedians, comedians produced by a company with a pun for a name. Ebony and Ivories. So, 
I was walking down the street the other day and something quite familiar but amusing happened. So, I got a call from my gran a couple of days ago, and she said something that most grannies say. <laughs> I've got a gran. <laughs> uh, um, I was... I was on public transport the other day, and... Uh, I, I was on uh, the tube the other day, and... Um, I was, there was a guy on the fucking... Tim. <sighs> Ivory, come on. <laughs> I just, I just... Ivory. Hello, uh, good afternoon. What did you have for lunch? Because <laughs> I bet I can make a joke out of that. Whoa! <laughs> and, um, and you, you, what funny little hands you've got. <laughs> I bet they make you feel like a giant. <laughs> or they would if you were bigger. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this shit. I'm over it. Did I become a comedian for this? Suicidal mornings and midnight on the piers. They said I was Australia's answer to Bill Hicks. Fuck this shit. This is a new bit. I've not heard this bit. Well, Broadway. <laughs> Broadway baby did say they're edgy. Fuck this shit. I'm over it. Well, my three years at Cambridge are for this. A mattress on the floor and two stars in the list. I've got a master's degree in English lit. Fuck this shit. <laughs> this has all gone wrong. This is costing me my last six months of jongler's money. This comic, comic life, life of ours has turned out not that funny. Fuck this shit. What's the point of comedy? When we're, we're doing, doing it for nobody, nobody. Cunt, piss, tit <laughs> Fuck this shit yeah. Let's go Yeah, this is just rubbish yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me I think you'll find it's in your interest to carry on <gasps> He's got a pen Oh my god <laughs> And I'm not from three weeks. No online blog for new school geeks. So get the fuck back on and play your part because I am the guardian of the arts. Guardian. The guardian's in. Oh, we got to get stuck. Yeah, let's do it. We've got to nail this game. Come on. Um, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go. The other day we were walking down the street and we saw a dog and then it spoke. Because it wasn't really a dog, it was a man in a dog suit. And it was really funny, so I told Ebony about it and he thought it was funny too, so we thought I'd tell you about it. My nan the other day. Yeah, oh, you're great. We've all got a nan. This is great. <laughs> this, is good. this is a killer. And she said things that all grannies say. <laughs> Boo. What? Boo. This, this isn't working now. Boo. I 
had a t-shirt made for you. Boo! I paid 28 pounds to see you too. So boo, you've got a job to do. Boo, the audience are people too. Just cause this guy's writing your review. Aren't my smiles review enough for you? Um, is this use of metatextual audience plants part of the show? Because I'm actually really enjoying this. <laughs> this is over. We're finished. Fuck this shit. I may only be a performing arts student from Middlesex University, but I've given more to this show than you have. I've been out all hours trying to get people into this show. I've developed a chest infection, trench foot and gonorrhea. <laughs> and I've been looking at these quotes on your flyer and I'm starting to suspect that some of them, like A dot dot dot, very dot dot dot, good dot dot dot, show, may have been taken out of context. <laughs> Anyway, Stephen Stevenson, what does he mean to you? Why is he so much more important than me, even if he is cleaner and less ridden with parasites? I'm leaving too. Fuck this shit. What? Stephen? You're Stephen Stevenson? Oh my God. Stephen Stevenson, I always imagined you were shorter. Steven Stevenson, I imagined you in a vat of piranha-filled water. Steven Stevenson, one day I'm going to fuck your daughter. He's going to fuck your daughter, Steven Stevenson. You gave those great reviews to Lucy Porter. Yes, I think she's very good. Your poison pen has cost us dearly. dearly. You give us one or two stars yearly. Dearly. If you hate us, why do you insist, insist. on coming back, you, you masochist? We were spellbound by your influence when we sacrificed our audience. But now we see your fraudulence. You're going home in an ambulance. No, leave it, Ebony. He's not worth it. I realize where we are going wrong Our audience was right here all along Let's go get them back! Once upon a time there was a boy His name was me His name was him <laughs> He dreamed a dream of such critical acuity Since reviewing Bacchus at the age of eight He knew that he was born to culturally commentate but now I feel the spotlight on my face I wonder how many stars to give an empty space So here I am alone, a colorless nobody The leading man in my own black comedy I always dreamt of being adored How did I come to be? I'm human too If you prick me, I will bleed 
I seem a prick from what you read, but I'm just doing what you need me to do. I know my toe. I have the power to make or break you, and though sometimes I may rake you over coals, I'm just trying to make you reach the stars. Did I go too far? He's human too. We know what to think and what to do. He's human too. We should thank the Lord for critics and their brilliant analytics. How else would punters know which way to face? They save us from our stupid punter taste. Our stupid taste. Critics, we salute them all, from the finest film reviewers to the scribblers in the stalls. Thank the Lord for critics, without them you'd be screwed. They watch the stupid shit we make so our shit won't get to you. Thank the Lord for critics, we salute them all, from the finest film reviewers to the scribblers in the stalls. Thank the Lord for critics. Without them, you'd be screwed. We watch the stupid shit we make, so our shit won't get to you. Thank the Lord for critics. Brian Logan. Yeah. Thank the Lord for critics. Michael Billington. Thank the Lord for critics. Larry Norman. Thank the Lord for critics. Dr. Samuel Jackson. Johnson. <laughs> Dr. Michael Jackson. <laughs> You're so racist, Stephen. Thank the Lord for critics. Aristotle. Yeah. Thank, thank the Lord for critics. Hey, thank you, everybody. I feel more understood now. And I hope to move forward writing reviews with slightly less <laughs> No, thank you for being the guardian of the arts. I've learned that we need critics. They're absolutely vital to our happiness. And, and thank you for being our fan. Oh yes, thank you. I've learned that you have to give your best, even there's only, even if there's only one just audience one. member, just the one, and that you just can't fuck shit when the going gets tough. That's right, Ebony. You can't well, thank just fuck you. Thanks, Ivory. Thank you for bringing so much joy into our lives with your quirky but familiar observations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Rejecting me, I don't think I could take another rejection. Oh. Wow, what a journey we've all. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It's been a brilliant and complex journey. It's been a veritable roller coaster of a narrative arc. <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> Thank the Lord for critics. We salute them all. Thank the Lord for critics.
Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to keep downloading these podcasts at guardian.co.uk slash Edinburgh. What a week. I'm off for a lie down. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.